Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media, World B Michael Freer, and we're thrilled to be joined by former NBA player and current agent BJ Armstrong. This is episode number 84, the Sidney Moncrief episode, as the oh. Milwaukee Bucks guard won the 1984 Defensive Player of the Year Award. I had the absolute pleasure to work alongside Coach Sid on the Milwaukee Bucks coaching staff in 2011. Coach Moncrief was always one of the best at sharing unique perspectives with players and routinely made time for all his fans in Milwaukee. Before Bruce gives a a proper introduction to tonight's guest, just a quick reminder that with the NFL playoffs right around the corner and the NBA season in full swing, BetOnline has you covered with all the -the up-to-the-second odds, news, and scores. With additional odds, lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get in on the action and see the updated odds. Remember to use our promo code BELIEF, that is B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts, and we'll start with Bruce introducing tonight's guest. Well, our guest this week needs very little introduction. (laughs) B.J. Armstrong has done it all in the world of basketball. In his 11-year NBA career, he was a three-time NBA champ as the point guard for the Chicago Bulls, one of the OGs on that team uh, from 91 to 93. He was voted as a starter in the 1994 All-Star Game. He was incredibly durable, played in 82 games six times and 81 games in another He was an executive with the Bulls after his retirement and is now executive vice president and managing executive for basketball with the Wasserman Group, where he's been since 2006. He worked with me twice as an NBA analyst at ESPN and as the co-host of our signature podcast at Pure Hoops Media for almost three years. He currently co-hosts the Hoop Genius podcast and is one of the smartest basketball minds out there. <laughs> Welcome to 48 Minutes, BJ. Do you really do five podcasts a week on the Scoop Genius podcast? Uh, every day, every single day. How else am I going to get practice? You know, practicing is part of my DNA. This is what I do. I've been doing that in my entire life. So I thought if I just did a podcast once a week, it was how am I going to improve? So... I just do it every day. I do it every day just to get practice so that I can be ready when I come on uh, amazing shows like the one you have here, 48 Minutes. Well, I was listening to one of them today, and it, did it was it really the 410th episode of the show? It said, Hoop Genius, episode 410. We're only up to 84. I know. Yeah. We, we, we literally do it every day. And uh, I find it to be great. And as you know now, the world has changed in the – in the in this sense is that the news is happening so fast. So first we were doing it a couple times a week, then three times a week. The stories were happening so fast that we figured how are how else are we going to stay in front of our audience unless we do it every day? So I, I do it. We enjoy it. And I get a chance to talk basketball every single day. I, I'm going to do it anyway, Bruce. I'm going to talk about <laughs> basketball. So I figured I might as well just make it a habit to talk on uh, my own platform where I can actually talk about. It and, you know, sometimes we, we find, uh, have very entertaining takes, <laughs> you know, uh, so. you're, you're like pure entertainment always have been <laughs> since the moment I knew you. But anyway, so let's get started here. If we could, uh, this is our first quarter and, uh, okay. normally Ross is our point guard, but I'm going to, I'm going to get us started here in the, uh, in the first quarter. Uh, 
Warriors. They're getting back Draymond Green, someone you know well, but they're losing okay. CP3 to a hand injury. The team has struggled this season. Their coach and your former teammate, Steve Kerr, said oh, wow. his team is lacking the grit needed to compete at the highest level. But are we really just looking at a bunch of younger guys around the league catching up to an aging team? Well, you know, you know, Bruce, I've been around for quite some time and, you know, I've, you know, I've got a few years now as an agent, I've worked, you know, as an executive and then I played for a few years. So, you know, that adds up to over 30 years or so in this NBA. It's one thing I can tell you about any team that has sustained success over a length of time is when it ends guys, it always ends bad. You know, every team whether it was the L.A. Lakers in the 80s, the Detroit Pistons, the Boston Celtics, our Chicago Bulls, you know, the Lakers in the 2000s. Now you're watching the Golden State Warriors. Anyone that has a level of sustained success, when it ends, there's no way or nice way to do it. So what we're watching now is a team that's going through what, we call in professional sports, no matter what sports you play in, the circle of blame, right? Everyone's kind of looking around and they're trying to figure it out, right? What you hope, and I think Coach Kerr understands this, is that you want to finish the job. And what I mean by finishing the job, you know, it's boxing, which happens to be my favorite sport. You always want to knock the champ out. And right now, the Golden State Warriors are in a vulnerable position because they've always been able to compete to win the final game of the season. And suddenly now, like all teams, no matter who you are, what sport, it's going to catch up with you. And it's always tough to watch. So you start saying, well, those guys know what it takes. Yeah, we all know what it takes. However, the body sometimes doesn't cooperate. That's called age. And it happens to all of us. So I would hope that the Warriors would learn from the previous teams and to say, we're going to do this with class. We're going to do this with dignity. We won a lot of games. We've won a few championships. However, you know, there's always a younger, stronger athlete waiting. (laughs) And that's what you're seeing. And there's nothing you can do about it. So I think Coach Kerr knows that. This team has a very – Some organizations, some owners don't allow their team to actually lose with the respect that he's given this team. He's kept this team together. I mean, Steve Kerr is still there. Those three guys, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Klay Thompson are still there. They're the core guys, and they're still there. So finish it up now. You've had a great run. Finish this up. And don't allow allow the outside distractions and things to interfere with the greatness and things that you guys have achieved. Because now we're starting to talk about things off the court more than we're talking about what happens on the court. And I think Coach Kerr knows it. We all know it who've been in in those positions. And hopefully those guys will have an opportunity to finish it up and finish it to where we can actually respect what they've done. Because what they did over a 10-year span was amazing. They won four championships. And I want to remember those teams for what they did, not for what they did off the court. Now, uh, P, uh, BJ, to go ahead and uh, piggyback off that, though, as far as teams getting younger, stronger, things of that nature, do you think this dynasty could have been prolonged 
had they hit on the James Wiseman pick when they did have that top overall selection? Do you think that could have kept this team together a little bit longer? Obviously, if you just kind of had another guy like Lamelo Ball, I mean, granted, if he's healthy, joining this team could have took some pressure off Steph, could have definitely helped out Clay. Do you, do you, do you see that being something that could have helped them continue uh, dominating you know, the Western Conference? Well, there's a downside to winning, guys. And the downside is you don't have an opportunity to develop. If you look at great teams over the years, it's always come at the expense of experienced players. Coaches, players who play in that league and are able to compete, there's a premium for veteran players to come aboard. You saw last year, you saw Bruce Brown, for instance, you know, what he was able to do. You know, you, you know, you 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 see veteran players come all the time into situations. Andre Iguodala, for instance, when he came to the Golden State Warriors, just as another example. You know, we had guys that came along for us: Rodney McRae, Cliff Livingston. Those guys came for the Bulls. So, veteran players are of of premium. The downside of it is you never get a chance to develop players. You know, there's only one way to develop: you got to just play. And you got to get experience. Well, when you're playing the game as a 19-year-old, it's very unfair to ask a 19-year-old to be able to play at a championship caliber level. Okay? That just doesn't happen, guys. So it's easy to look back and say, coulda, woulda, shoulda. However, let's look at their team as is. They have superior Hall of Fame level guard play. So if you get a LaMelo ball, where is he going to play? But you're going to sit Steph Curry down? You're going to set Clay Thompson down. Okay. Where are these guys going to play? And you got to understand who is your best player. Your best player is a first ballot Hall of Fame player, one of the greatest players of all time at his position is Steph Curry. So it, it was only logical that you would get a, a, a guy, a big guy, possibly that you could wait on two or three years, who could possibly integrate himself in a system where traditionally they don't play with a big man. They played small ball, right? We all celebrated small ball. And then suddenly you're asking a seven footer to come in and learn how to play small ball. And he's been playing his whole life as a seven footer posting up so forth and so on. Okay. If we looked at the way the game is played today, the Warriors ushered in a new style of play. And we, for those 10 years, we really took the big man out of the game. Let's just call it like we see it. Like, <laughs> until Jokic and Joel Embiid came back, everyone was figuring out how to play small ball. The Warriors, I think, maximized that opportunity that they played in the style of play. However, at some point, the Warriors are going to have to answer this question. They have to have what we call a franchise renewal program in place, meaning they're going to have to figure out how to play a different style of play in order to win, whether that means to go to a more traditional big. And the reason I'm saying a traditional big is because Jokic is going to be the next thing. Everyone has to have a big guy to play against Jokic because Jokic is the first big that he's putting up in incredible numbers as a starting center, as a big guy. But he'll put up historical numbers playing small ball. You can't play small ball versus him. So that's the dilemma now that every team, 
That's why you're seeing the Minnesota Timberwolves, for instance, now put together two big guys to counter what Jokic is doing if they're able to meet them. So I would love to say yes to those things. However, it's just a matter of finding the right place for you. Wiseman is a really good player. There was a reason he was taken second. Now, it hasn't panned out for him, uh, but for all of us who saw him play coming through high school, is coming through college, many considered him the number one pick in that draft. Yep. But it was just a different time. And maybe his time will come. We don't know. But it's not because of lack of talent. I think they got the right player. However, it wasn't the right style of play at that particular time of his career. Good points. Hey, BJ, uh, switching gears over to like the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, they were the story at the beginning when they picked up James Harden and, and things started off poorly for them. Mm-hmm. And now they've been rolling ever since. Right. What do you what do you see when you see what their makeup, their lineup is and how they are they a contender to come out of that conference? You know, believe it or not, believe it or not, guys, before the trade, some of us in the media, some of us, you know, so-called experts, you know, I say that casually with myself. <laughs> Anytime you have Kawhi Leonard on your team, you're in the race. Okay. If when Kawhi Leonard, when Kawhi Leonard is healthy, guys, I mean, this guy can will the team all by himself. Now he has shown that ability. We just saw it recently, what two or three years ago, when he was healthy with the with the Toronto Raptors. Every year that he's gotten hurt. I think it was a consensus that he might have been the best player left in the playoffs before both of those injuries. Okay. <laughs> That's how good he is when he's healthy. It's well documented that they, he hasn't been healthy along with the, some other players, Paul George in particular on that team. Adding James Harden has only really enhanced that, but there is a difference now. Jokic now suddenly is playing now at a pace, at a level that you would argue, say, I don't care who he plays against now. He's going to be the best player in any series that he plays in. I still think they have a chance because of the offensive firepower that those guys have. However, Jokic is a problem. It's very hard to beat the best player in a series, in a seven-game series. And Jokic right now, there's no answers for him. If there's one thing we can say about the Clippers that I think we all kind of understand is they are small. You know, Zubak, I think this is his name, Zubak. Yep. yep. He is the only big that they really have to match up. And no one can match up with this guy, you know, Jokic. I mean, he's just, I mean, he's just, a, you know, he's just, he's another player in a different level right now. But I still like their team with the right matchups. I think they're going to be tough to beat talking about the Clippers, but right now I think they're going to have to find a way to get bigger in their front court. If they're going to match up with players like Jokic or other players that they would have to meet that are seven footers. You know, you mentioned uh, Jokic, you know, Denver has been kind of a streaky team this year. They started off pretty well. Then they had a rough patch and now they're back to uh, doing their thing, uh, winning nine out of their last 11 games. In your opinion, are they still the class of the Western Conference? Well, the West is stacked, and no disrespect to anyone in the West. And right now, you know, we have to go by what we see. That's the one thing. I think that's the one thing as an athlete has remained with me. You are who you are. And, you know, I would love to think that 
these guys turning on and turning off as they as they see fit. However, that's not the case. Right now, the Minnesota Timberwolves are probably playing the best. They've probably been the most consistent team as far as at the top of the list in the Western Conference, really in the league. I know they've had a skid as of late. So I would say Minnesota is probably the best team right now if you said the regular season. However, the playoffs, as you guys know, is a different game. And as I mentioned earlier, Jokic is, I think now, probably the best player in any series that he would play in a seven-game series and because that's a different game. You have to figure out a way to slow him down. And it's very hard to play against a player like him because he's probably a better passer than he is a scorer. <laughs> so yeah. it makes you very reluctant to double-team him. I still think in a seven-game series, it's hard for me to bet against Jokic at this point, Bruce. I, I just can't because of his impact of the game. He has improved in every area where he's had weaknesses, like defensively, especially against screen roll. He is one of the best passers I've ever seen, regardless of position. Mm-hmm. He rebounds the ball. He scores the ball. He just knows how to play the game, and he's – very impactful. And by the way, they have this kid, Jamal Murray, who's probably the best player who hasn't made an all-star team yet. Okay. And he's, and he's capable of playing the game at the highest level against anyone in the league. So I still like their team. I still think they are the team to beat in a seven game series. And because they are the champion, now you got to knock them out because they're not afraid now. You know, they are not afraid to lose. They know how to win on the road. And more importantly, they can back it up. Jokic, <laughs> I mean, he's just, you know, he is that guy. So um, I, 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 during the regular season, they're probably will get through that. Uh, but, but because they have the confidence to do that now, but in a seven game series, it'll be hard for me to bet, uh, to bet against them. Now, BJ, um, going back to your point about the Golden State Warriors not being able to develop young talent because that involves and requires a lot of playing time. Let's talk about a team out West that's on the rise, that has a lot of young, young top talent. They're getting a chance to play and they're having a lot of success doing so. That's the Oklahoma city thunder. Yes. And when it comes to them, I'd be curious to get your thoughts. Do you think it's time for them to make one big move to add a piece to help this team kind of compete with the, the nuggets and the, the Clippers of the West, or uh, are you still writing this thing out with the, the young core they have? Oh, wow. That's, that's, a, that's a tough question. Um, as a fan, you know, it's kind of you want to do things now, right? Let's add a piece now and and move this thing. However, you know, as a former player, as a former executive, you, you draft these players with the idea you're going to give them an opportunity to develop. Mm-hmm. You know, they drafted this kid, Chet Holmgren. They drafted a kid, Jalen Williams, I think that's his name, Jalen yep. Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had an injury with Chet Holmgren. And they had to wait to see a whole year after this injury to see what they have. So they put in a lot of man hours to put together this team. You know, they had to give up a lot and do a lot of things to get this kid. They didn't draft uh, Shea Alexander. But they had to maneuver their team on the fly to get a player like this, not knowing whether he was going to, you know, we thought he was going to be a good player. 
But I don't think any of us, when we watched him at, at the University of Kentucky, he wasn't even a starter at the University of Kentucky, guys. Yeah. Now we all want to say, oh, this is what – we didn't know. You draft these guys, and sometimes they happen, and sometimes they don't. But he has now – he's a first-team all-NBA player. Think about that. You don't start in college, and then you're a first-team all-NBA player, okay? Suddenly now you're looking at their team going, okay, we have something here. These young guys clearly have the basketball integrity, in my opinion, that you got to allow them to be who they are before you start making moves. Chet Holmgren, this is not a finished product, guys. I mean, right now we know physically just by watching him with the naked eye, we can see that he doesn't have the physical capability to play against a Jokic. So I don't care who you get, (laughs) you, you know, no one can stop this guy. However, Maybe in a year or two, and he adds a little strength and a little bit more experience, maybe there's something he can do to disrupt him because he does have the length and the size to, to at least disrupt him in a way if he were double team him. He just can't pass over the top of him. Right. So I think this team is worth allowing them two or three years to figure out who they're going to be. And before you start tinkering with your team and doing all those things, because this is an unfinished product. I don't even think Shea, Shea is finished doing what, who he's going to become as a player. So I would cautious as an executive to be patient with this group because they could really be something. Because it's very, and the reason I say this is because I don't look at Oklahoma as a as a free agent destination. No disrespect to Oklahoma, <laughs> but it's not the first place. It's not like LA or one of those places, Miami, that you always hear guys wanting to go to. I haven't heard Oklahoma being the first place that guys want to go to. So I would be cautious before I started trading players because they have, to me, three excellent players who all have all-star cap- capability. One has already become an all-star. He's already a first-team all-NBA all player. So yep. I would be cautious. I would be a little patient. And we can't forget this last thing is – this was a team just a year ago where in the, they were playing for the play-in. And suddenly now they're in the playoffs, if this playoffs were to start today. That's a major accomplishment for a young group. Okay, they have a couple guys. They have about three or four guys on their roster right now that are still on rookie-scale contracts. Okay, that's simply amazing. Yeah. So I'm a little bit more cautious. I want to see how good these guys could become before I start trading and seeing you know how good we could be in the short term because I think long term this team could be really really good. Yeah, BJ, you mentioned uh, Chet Holmgren, one of the uh, big time rookies this season, but the biggest name of all among rookies is obviously Victor Wembanyama. Oh, wow. I'm just curious uh, your thoughts on what you've seen out of him and what kind of impression does he uh, has he left on you? You know, I've been knowing Bruce for, I don't know, Bruce, what, 20 years or so, somewhere around there? Close to it. Victor Wimbenyama has an opportunity to put his name in the conversation of one of the all-time greats. I can't say it any simpler than that. I could go on and on about this kid. I mean, this kid, he's just an, if you want to say, wow, if just watch him, just watch him. He's going to do something that's going to, you've never seen before. He is an absolute, he's just, he's magnificent as a basketball player. I've been around this game for a long time. I've seen quite a few players in my life, but I've never seen a player with this 
combination. He's got size. He puts it on the floor. He's athletic. He can pass. He He's not a big guy who's extended his range. He can actually shoot from three. Defensively, he is amazing. I mean, how many guys can actually just go up and block Giannis's dunk? Yeah. Okay? Cleanly. Perfect example. Okay? I mean, this guy's 19 years of age, for crying out loud. So, guys – I tell all of my clients now, you better beat him now because once he figures this out, it's over. You have no chance because as good as he could be on the offensive end, he could be a Bill Russell level player on the defensive end. And we know what Bill Russell went to do. And Bill Russell, by all accounts, wasn't shooting threes. At least I haven't seen any on film that I've watched of Bill Russell. (laughs) This, This young player is that good. He's must-see TV, and if you appreciate the game and you're a fan of the game, you have to appreciate him and a young player, what he's doing. Now, I know it's right now it's not translating to winning, but this guy plays 24 to 28 minutes a night, and he'll have a, he'll have a stat line like 25 points, 12 rebounds, and eight block shots <laughs> in 24 minutes, okay? Greg Popovich and these guys know that if they allowed him to play 35 minutes a night, that they would win more than five games. I can assure you that. However, they know also he's only 19 years of age and you got to build yourself up to get to that level where you can actually play at that level for 82 games plus the playoffs. And it's just a matter of time. So the NBA and all the other teams beat him now because when he gets the stamina that's necessary, we'll be talking about the San Antonio Spurs again and the level of sustained success because he's coming. This guy is just, he's that good of a player. And I know that was a long-winded answer. However, he is a special, special talent. Now, BJ, let's go ahead and shift to the East here for our second quarter. Obviously, our first trade of the season was quite a big one uh, involving the New York Knicks and Toronto Raptors. Um, The Knicks acquired OG Ananobi, and since then, they haven't really looked back. This is a team that is a winner in their last four games. And uh, curious to think, Get your thoughts and what what you think on OG. Is he that missing link, that third big piece to the Knicks puzzle? Well, you know, there's other 29 teams. Well, I I should say this. There's a couple of organizations that stand out. Mm -hmm. The Celtics, I mean, it's championship with them or bus. Yep. There's the L.A. Lakers, there's championship or bus. And then it's the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks can go 82-0, and 0, and if they lose one game in the playoffs, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> yeah. Okay? All right? So, now, every year, the New York Knicks over the last two or three years, they've, they've played terrific during the regular season. They really have. But let me assure you, the Knicks faithful would trade in an eighth seed to advance to the conference finals. The Knicks have to advance. So whatever they do during the regular season really doesn't matter in New York. And right now, I have to look at this through the lens of a New York fan or the New York fan base, I should say. Whatever they do during the regular season, they they expect this anyway. They were winning last year with the players that they had before the trade. Yep. There's no reason to think that they, they shouldn't expect to win this year. I think Jalen Brunson will be an all-star this year. Julius Randle is, what, a two-time all-star now? 
they're looking to advance in the playoffs. Okay. Some would argue they probably should have made it to the conference finals just a year ago. If the Knicks have a successful regular season, which it looks like they're going to, I think OG was a terrific pickup by them. And they don't get out of the first round, guys. You and I will come back on this podcast here and we will talk about it and we'll have a lot to talk about. (laughs) And it won't be about how good of the regular season they had. So I reserve judgment for all Knicks activities until once the playoffs begin. That's fair. Okay, because that's New York. I'm like, New York wouldn't have it in here. It wouldn't be New York if it was in if it was a different way. So is it great in the regular season? Yes. Is it great that they went there and Julius Randle had 39 points against the Washington Wizards? Yes. But I want to see what they're going to do against, you know, Bruce's Boston Celtics in the in the playoffs. I want to see what they're going to do against the Milwaukee Bucks. I want to see what they're going to do when it, when 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 the lights are the brightest, right? And that's when you and I will have fun and really talk about what the New Yorks did and how this trade really worked out. As a Knicks fan, I couldn't agree with you more on, on, <laughs> on how that, how that uh, is going to shape out. Yeah, if, if they were to lose in the first round, it would be uh, oh. Uh, you would be ram- screaming. You would be screaming. ramifications. It would be, it'd be a brutal, uh, it'd be a brutal season. There's yes. just no way around it. Uh, let me ask you real quick. Where do you put them in the Eastern Conference uh, among the contenders? There's, there's basically, it looks like there's three of them and then everybody else trying to get home court for, you know, around. I, I, I think that's fair. I think, I think the, the top three, pretty much have kind of separated themselves. You know, you look at, you know, the, the Celtics, um, you know, Jason Tatum, you know, what he's able to do along with Jalen Brown. Then you have Giannis, Damian Lillard. Then you have Tyrese Maxey and you have, you know, Joel Embiid. So I think those three have kind of separated themselves. Now, which one has separated from the three? I think they're all kind of like somewhere together. They're bunched in. And then I think the Knicks are in the next group. The Knicks, Cleveland, Miami, those guys are probably in the Knicks group. So I think the Knicks are sitting there. Um, I think the OG trade probably um, they did that trade because they wanted to get bigger, knowing that they're going to have to have bigger bodies to play against the likes of, you know, the Miami Heat, the likes of, in in particular, Jimmy Butler. And they know they're going to have to play against Giannis, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. So we'll see how this plays out. I think their depth has been hurt. If there's one thing that I see that you're going to need to play is you're going to need depth. And the Knicks, even though quickly was the sixth man, I looked at him as a starter because he played starter minutes. And right now they're missing three starters from a team just a year ago. You know, Mitchell Robinson is out. They traded R.J. Barrett and quickly finished the games more times than not. Now, I think this, you know, we haven't talked enough about quickly or I haven't heard many people say this, but quickly to me is going to be fascinating to see how much they miss him. Because not only was he a scoring guard off the bench, he was their second primary ball handler behind Jalen Brunson when Brunson came out of the game. I think missing quickly is going to put that more that much more pressure on Jalen Brunson to be productive, not only as a ball handler, but as a scorer. We know he can score. And that's going to increase his minute output. 
and they're going to need him to be on the floor even more. So we'll see how it plays out, but I think they're going to miss. I mean, they're they're look when you miss when you take three starters off your team. That's going to change the dynamic of your team. Now, the winning will take care of all of the questions. However, at some point, you know, you've really more or less due to injuries and a trade, you've really changed your dynamic of your team just from a year ago. And we'll see how this is going to play out long term. But, you know, if you're going to get a good player, you got to give up something. So we'll see how it plays out in the end. Uh, Who called that one last week, guys? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So. Uh, my Celtics uh, had a tough loss on the road on Monday night against Indiana, um, but they pretty much had the league's best record from the jump this mm-hmm. year. They've been out mm-hmm. there out in front all year. Uh, BJ, in your opinion, is Boston the team this year? Well, you, you know, Boston is a team right now that they keep knocking at the door. I mean, they've been to the conference finals. What It seems like they're in the conference finals every year for like the last four or five years. I don't know what they've done, but they are there. Right now, at some point here, either they're going to bust through this or this is going to be one of the teams we talk about could have, would have, should have, ought right? I'm concerned about the Celtics because they are another team that they got rid of some really good players and now they have a lack of depth, right? So much so where they've even taken one of their starters and leaders, Al Horford, and they've kind of put him on the bench just to try to spread out what they're doing, you know, as far as having players and implementing players that can come in and play productive minutes. I'm a little concerned about their depth of their team. I think they are a top heavy team to give it a turn as a group. I like their team. I think Porzingis was a nice pickup for their style of play. I mean, they want to just shoot threes. I mean, they chuck up the threes now like I've never seen. They just chuck them up. But they're making them. And they have a terrific player. They have a couple of terrific players in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum is just an exceptional offensive talent. So you would, when you look at their talent, you say they have enough talent, especially up front, to do this. However, if something happens, an injury or a guy doesn't play well, a bad matchup, you're really concerned about where they're going to get the offensive imp, uh, output that they're going to need to get this done because they don't have a lot of depth on their bench. So I would expect them, Bruce, guys, to really do something to address that situation as the tread, as the trade deadline approaches to address those issues because if they can get a couple more players that can contribute in limited minutes, meaning 15 minutes or less, I think they have a real chance, but I like their team and you can see they are a handful as is, but I think it allows them to play and be fresh as they enter into the postseason. Now, BJ, before we do take our halftime break here, I want to bring up the Milwaukee Bucks. That's certainly my team. Um, I wanted oh, to get yeah. your thoughts on just, just kind of uh, whether or not this learning curve with uh, a new superstar in town with Damian Lillard, <laughs> a new head coach in his first year, Adrian Griffin, and just everything else that's gone on there. Do they have enough time this year to adjust to everything, uh, you know, to get the job done and and be, you know, in the NBA finals competing for a title? Well, anytime you have Giannis, that's a pretty good start. (laughs) Okay. Giannis is going to keep you in the, in the running right there. I mean, no doubt about it. Okay. 
But when you're talking about championship caliber basketball, you have to address the three things. And let's talk from a championship perspective. You have to defend, you have to rebound, and you have to pass the ball. Well, let's start off with the defensive part of this. They've been they've been awful on the defensive end. I mean, there's yeah. no there's no way to you can't hide it. You can't disguise it. Nope. They've been awful. Okay. In spite of that, they still found a way to win and be one of the elite teams in the Eastern Conference in the entire NBA. In spite of them being what I think they were 25th, 26th, somewhere around there in defensive yeah. efficiency, right? It's been bad. It's been really bad. So defensively, they're going to have to figure this out. Last year, they had a potential defensive player of the year in Brooke Lopez. They've had a defensive player of the year in Giannis. Right now, their guard play in particular, you know, uh, Damian Lillard, they have to figure out how to contain the basketball and defend the peri- on the perimeter if they're going to be a championship caliber team. They can rebound the basketball. They're an unselfish group. However, they're going to have to figure that out, especially on their perimeter, if they're going to be a championship caliber team. Now, Giannis is going to carry the, the day. Giannis is going to will the games during the regular season. However, you have to be better than average. You don't have to be the best team on the defensive end. You're going to have to be better than average. And right now, they haven't been average, (laughs) okay, let alone better than. So until they address that situation as a group, there's going to be some concerns there. And, you know, and they're going to have to figure it out. But I think they're trying. Um, But I don't know what the answer is. I'm not in the locker room. But right now, I do know this is a team that is not playing at the caliber if they're going to be crowned NBA champions and and yeah. they're going to have to do that and do that fairly quickly. Definitely uh, going to be interesting to see what they do here in the second half of the season. Uh, great answer to that, BJ. Well, we've reached our halftime buzzer. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. All right. We're back with the start of our third quarter and BJ, we kind of want to get into Life as an MBA agent. So if I did my homework correctly, you've been an agent since 2006. So we definitely like to pick your brain on that side of the business. And I'll go ahead and start off with a basic but important question. Okay. What would you say? What would you say is the toughest part of your job as an agent? The the toughest part of my job. um, Well, you know, there's many. You know, phases to the job. I I would say the toughest part of my job is actually getting the clients and getting the players to a space where they're capable of handling the truth. Yep. You know, as an agent, my job is to not give my opinion on what I think, but it's to report back what these people, when I say these people, the teams and executives and people um, think of them. And for many of them, this is the first time they've actually had negative comments about them. You know, <laughs> you know, as a, as a young kid, you're probably the best player on your team and everyone wants to recruit you and tell you how good you are. And then suddenly you go through the draft process and they're like, no, he's not the player for us. And that's the hard part is really sharing or getting young people to go from an amateur 
to a professional. That's probably the hardest part of my job because as a professional, you got to deal with the facts. You know, team X doesn't like you, (laughs) you know, like it's not me that doesn't like you. It's the team X. And that's really hard for young people at 18, 19 years of age to hear for the first time. It's always it's kind of like being traded for the first time. It's always a surprise when you get traded, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, So I think getting the, the, the stage becoming from an amateur to a professional is probably the most difficult part of my job because there's no preparation for it. No one ever talks about it. And uh, that's probably the most difficult part of my job. You know, BJ, many agents start out as lawyers, uh, but your background, of course, is much different. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a former player, what can you tell clients or how can you help clients in a way as a former player that a, a, a former lawyer, let's say, can't? Well, you, you know, there's really no one way to do it, do this job, uh, Bruce. And, you know, there are things, you know, I, my office is full of lawyers. So I value law. I'm married to a lawyer. <laughs> OK, so there's things that you, you know, you value. And there's we, we are all subject matter experts in our own particular way. There's also things that as a former player that I share with people who are about to get into a business that I just happen to have been there and done that. So there's value in that. I I think that the the main thing is when you want to learn something, you go to people who've done it, right? If I wanted to learn how to play golf, I would go to people who probably either play golf or coach golf. If I wanted to, if I would, if I wanted to be in broadcasting, I probably would contact someone who's probably been in that field (laughs) if I wanted to learn. So it's only natural to me to think that if you want to learn about basketball, because we're in the business of basketball, that you would probably reach out to someone who probably either played it or has been there. (laughs) Okay. And that's not to diminish people who didn't play. It's just, to me, it just seems like a natural response, right? Um, when I wanted to be a player and I had basketball questions, I went to someone who had played professional sports. <laughs> That's what I did. Like, it, it didn't make sense to me to go to another profession to ask about a basketball question. So I would hope that um, whatever it is you want to learn, that you would try to ask someone or reach out to someone with experience, right? There's no replacement for experience. And, and that's not to say, like I said, again, I'm not diminishing anyone else or saying one way is better or not. But for me, I've always found comfort in saying, if I wanted to learn something, I'm going to ask someone who either has been in that field or who works in that field. And that has always been successful to me. And at, you know, I'm in my, I'm 56 now. I still find that to be very helpful in my life, <laughs> right? When I wanted to become an agent, I reached out to other people who had already done it before me. And that was, I found that to be very helpful. So um, it's a formula that I think works. And, um, but I'm not saying that's the only way to do it. Yeah, PJ, when, when it comes to being an agent, is there an aspect of the business that you weren't aware of when you uh, 
joined in or you didn't expect that you had to adjust to as opposed to when you're a player on the other side of the spectrum of the agent player a relationship is there an aspect of being an agent that you that had to adjust to uh that maybe you weren't ready for, i don't say ready for is the right word but had to adjust i guess yeah yeah well the one thing about the game as a player you actually can control or have some control of the outcome of the actual game itself because you participated in the game and then after that you you become an observer of the game as an agent, the one thing that I didn't anticipate was how important it is to be able to evaluate talent and evaluate players. But more important than that is to evaluate the, the space that the game is being played in. For instance, when I watched Steph Curry at Davidson, and I'm just using him as an example, I never imagined that the game would shift from a game that was played from the inside out to outside in. I never imagined, none of us, okay, I'll just admit it, none of us (laughs) imagined that the three-point shot was going to be the new wave in which we play in this game that we call pace and space. I never imagined that big guys, this game has traditionally been a game where we've always valued big guys, that suddenly we devalue big guys for about 10 years in this league. You never could have told me then, watching a young Steph Curry, that he was going to have this level of effect on the game. And what I discovered as an agent is that I'm constantly evaluating how coaches coach the game and what's being taught to the game and what's going to be the next wave of how the game is going to be played. I never, ever thought that I would have to be looking out for that as an agent. You know, I just thought, hey, I would do my job, negotiate contracts, learn the salary cap, da, da, da. However, the difference between not recruiting a Steph Curry is a significant problem for someone like me (laughs) if I decided not to recruit him because I thought I was going to recruit a center who traditionally those guys always got paid in the NBA, even if they were just became average. Okay. So as an agent, now I'm constantly looking for different trends. Is the mid range going to come back? Suddenly now I'm looking at the game going, Oh wow. The game is taking another shift. Jokic. If he wins again this year, every team now is going to start building teams to have to counter Jokic because he will be the most influential player in the NBA and how you construct teams. So suddenly I go from going perimeter, 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 threes, 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 to suddenly now I need seven footers who can play against Jokic because now we're going to need big teams. Like you're seeing the Memphis, uh, the Memphis, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves are doing right now. Okay. So this is one thing I didn't expect it. I expect it to, hone my skills as an executive in recruiting and scouting players. I have to be that much more, I have to have a much better eye for talent now than I've ever had, because now you have big guys who are playing like small guys now. So Wimbenyama, for instance, is a seven foot five guy who's playing like he's six, three. So that is the one thing that I didn't anticipate as an agent. It's been a lot of fun, 
because it's truly a global game now. And by the way, guys, a quarter of our players now are for are foreign born players. So this isn't just a domestic game anymore. It's a literally a global game. So I didn't anticipate me. I didn't anticipate me traveling more. I didn't anticipate me watching even more games. And I have to really be attuned to what these coaches are doing because, you know, you know, a, suddenly a Mike D'Antoni may change the game again. <laughs> so all of these things are happening now as an agent that you're like, oh, man, when does this stop? I thought I was going to be, you know, like, hey, you know, a lot different when I was working on the team side. But it's actually more work now because now I have to make these predictions based on what I'm seeing night to night in the NBA. Very, very interesting stuff there, trying to stay ahead of the trends there, BJ. Uh, really appreciate your time. We're going to take one more quick break and come back with some quick hitters to end the show. All right, we're back with our fourth quarter for a variety of different topics here. And uh, I'll start first here, BJ. You were in Chicago during Ron Artest's rookie year with the Bulls. What yes. can you share about Meta World Peace, as he's known as now, what was he like as a rookie, and did you expect him to go on to have the career that he did? Well, yeah, yeah. I was part of, uh, you know, when I that was one of my first drafts when I went into the front office was with Ron Artest. Uh, Elton Brand was in that draft. And did I expect Ron to have the career that he had? I, I absolutely, I absolutely did. Um, the one thing Ron did from the moment he walked in the door was he could always defend and he was an incredibly competitive kid. And, you know, we always talk about offensive output. We always talk about guys scoring and 3d scores and all these things, but coaches always love players who can match up on the other end. Yep. Ron Artest was a, was a very sought after player as a young player because of the way he could defend and he thrived on the defensive end. So he went on to win, become defensive player of the year. I thought he had a chance. Do you ever know if a guy's going to do it? Well, it takes a lot of things to happen. However, he had the right mindset, terrific size. I mean, he walked in the door with that size, right? It wasn't like he had yeah. to like get stronger. <laughs> he, he walked in like this and he was a very competitive kid. So you know, he had a phenomenal career. I, I love Ron Ron. That's what we called him back in the day. Now he's Meta Royal Priest. And uh, every time I see him, I hug him because he was one of the first drafts. He's one of the first guys that, you know, that I saw uh, and was able to, you know, evaluate and look at. And uh, and he went on to become a world champion and had a great career. So uh, he, he, he turned out to be a terrific player. And uh, it's great to see him now transition on and, and move on in his, once his career ended. So um, he's a terrific guy, terrific kid. And um, I thought he was going to be a good player. I didn't know of what he could be, but I thought he could be a good player. And you could see that on day one. Uh, switching topics. Your dad used to officiate high school games in Metro Detroit. And you always respected referees during your career. But some players and coaches like, LeBron, Chris Paul, Steve Kerr have been complaining about the refs this season. What's your take on the relationships these days between players, coaches, and officials in the game? Well, you, you know, Bruce, that's called gamesmanship. And you're constantly looking for advantages for yourself and your team. I have no problem with gamesmanship. 
you know, I know Steve and these guys, everyone is looking to gain an edge. And that's part of the game, myself included when I was a player. You know, we all do it in our own way. Some people do it outwardly. Some people do it in the media. Some people, you know, you're whispering to the referees or what have you. You have relationships with these people. And the one thing you can't ever forget that in those jerseys, in those referee jerseys, those are people. So um, I think there's a mutual respect there. However, you're constantly looking for an advantage. And I think it's nothing more than that. I mean, that's a tough job being a referee. And but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't put pressure on those guys. Doesn't mean that <laughs> that you shouldn't complain to those guys. And if you can get a little advantage, however you get it, so be it. And uh, so I respect the gamesmanship that they play. And, uh, you know, that's part of the that's part of the game that I think is probably a little undervalued. Hey, BJ, uh, I want to ask you a question about, you know, when you play, you play with the Bulls, as we mentioned, in the, the glory years, the first three-peat go around. I'm just curious, the atmosphere of being on a team like that during that time and how much of a shock, either good or bad, was it when you moved on to other teams that, you know, there was an obvious difference in attention that those teams received as opposed to being on the Bulls during those glory years? He talked about, like, the, without the championship society, just the atmosphere of what it was like to be on a team like that and then what it was like to be, you know, after you moved on to, say, Charlotte, after you moved on to Golden State. Well, you, you know, everyone loves to, you know, when you win, it's kind of like, you know, it, it, it solves all your problems. You know, I, I, I value my time in the NBA because as a kid, I just wanted an opportunity to play in the NBA. That's all that mattered to me. I just wanted – I didn't say – it wasn't part of my dream. I said, well, I want to play for the Chicago Bulls or I wanted to play. I just wanted an opportunity to, to play in the NBA. Didn't matter. You, you could have sent me to Alaska. You could have sent me anywhere. I just wanted to play in the NBA. And once I got that opportunity, I just wanted to do my best. I made that commitment to myself. I'm going to do my best. Now, did I ever imagine that I would play with a guy who would be considered one of the greatest players of all time? Didn't see that one. Did I ever imagine that I was going to be playing for Phil Jackson in the triangle offense? That wasn't part of my dream. And Scottie Pippen and all these guys. I, I, did I ever think that I was going to win? You know, I was the kid that was watching the L.A. Lakers. I was the kid who grew up in Detroit watching the bad boy Pistons. I was a bad boy Pistons fan, right? <laughs> I was the guy as a young kid. I wore number 11 in high school, too, because of Isaiah Thomas. So all of the things I achieved wasn't part of it. OK, that wasn't part of I, And then once I got there, I suddenly realized. Now, some young kid is probably watching me saying that's what I want to do. So I felt. A responsibility, an enormous responsibility to just give back to the game. And to always do my best, whether I won, played well or I didn't play well. So what was it like? I enjoyed every moment of it. Like I got a chance to play in the NBA against the very pl best players in the world. And sometimes I won. Sometimes I didn't. But that's part of the game. Now, that's the dream that I saw. I was going to do my best regardless of the outcome. It's easy to win. I can tell you that. 
<laughs> okay? When you win, it's easy. Like you show up, you win the game, everyone's singing your praises, you go out to dinner, they pick up your tab, da-da-da, da-da-da. Okay. But what they don't tell you is that, you know what, you find out who you really are in defeat. So I learned just as much on when I left the Bulls as I learned when I was with the Bulls. And what I found out, I was the exact same person, whether I won the championship, whether I lost 10 games in a row or whatever it is I lost on those other teams. Okay, you're never as good as you think you are. You're never as bad as you think you are. And that's what I learned. So I had a blast playing for all those years. I gave it my all. And then when it was over, it was over. And um, so it, it was really no high for me. There was no low for me. I certainly, most people will recognize and always point those years out, but believe it or not, I had eight other years where I didn't win, but no one ever talks about that. (laughs) So I'm always mad when people say three-time champion. What about my other eight years? You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, those don't really matter, BJ. So, so, but I have fun with it and, you know, I had a good ride and, um, and you know what? I, and like I said, it, it, I got a chance to live out a dream, a young kid from Detroit who just wanted a chance to play. And, and that's all it really was. Now, BJ, one final quick story and then question for you is uh, I got to be <laughs> honest, as a kid growing up here in Phoenix, Arizona, obviously there was no league pass. There was no Internet. But I first learned about you playing a game called NBA Jam. And uh, <laughs> me, like most uh, basketball fans, go, oh, I'm going to play as the Bulls because I got Michael Jordan. Well, of course, Jordan's not in the game, but here's this guy, B.J. Armstrong, quick as can be, shooting threes, lighting the net on fire. Do basketball fans still bring that up to you today? Well, it, it makes me feel incredibly old. So thank you again for reminding me. <laughs> how old I <am>. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I, 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 my, my, I first became aware of this, my son, who my oldest son, our oldest son, now, uh-huh. who's 23 and his friends would always come over and they would say, oh, that's the guy that plays on the video game. And I was like, <laughs> who is this guy that plays on the video game? These kids never <laughs> saw me play, but they knew my name from the video game. So I wish I had the foresight to have, I wish I would have done a better marketing deal for myself. That's probably why I became an agent. But, but that game has lived on well beyond my productive years as an NBA player. And I wish I could still be getting uh, residuals, let's say, for that. So, uh, but it's funny because your generation remember, remembers me from the game. And, uh, but yeah, I, I it's pretty funny to me. It always makes me laugh. But yes, I was I, I caught on to that pretty early. And uh, and I thought great marketing, great negotiation, because that guy is still getting money from that. And I'm sitting here now, you know, rekindling. No, I'm rekindling the old days. <laughs> but that guy's still making money, you know, so. You know, shout out to, I don't know, 2K or whoever did the game, you know, because those guys had it figured out. Yeah, awesome stuff. Well, we really do appreciate your time, BJ. And again, uh, if you want to plug your your podcast, where can people find it and what's it called? Yeah, well, yeah. you know what? I, I'm not here doing any shameless plugs. I'm just a guy. I have fun. If you want to laugh, <laughs> okay. you'll find it. If you're looking for a laugh, you'll find me. 
you know, because okay. we don't take ourselves serious enough. But you'll see me somewhere on a podcast near you. We'll have a lot of fun. We'll do jokes. And thank you, guys. This was great. And uh, hopefully you'll have me back. Absolutely. You're welcome anytime. And uh, with that, we'll, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.